Hey, Light Seekers, I am Shelly Simone, and this is our very first visual discussion with our very first guest. Nadia Tamir Lee is a meditation guide, mindfulness coach, and author who just released her new book, Awaken Your Best Self. She will share her complex story toward healing and self-discovery through discernments with the world for the very first time. So let's get into it. Nadia Tamirli, thank you so much for sharing your journey toward healing and self-discovery with me on discernment. I want to first address your new book that you just released titled Awaken Your Best Self. Thank you for sharing that book with me. Um, I am in the process now of finishing the last two chapters, but I want to introduce you through a part of your introduction from the book. And it says, my journey to this moment has been filled with twists and turns, trials and triumphs, heartaches and healing. Like many of you, I have faced significant challenges that tested my spirit and shattered my sense of self. From losing a custody battle for my beloved children to spending time behind bars in a foreign land and battling cancer that threatened to consume me, my life has been a series of uphill battles, but amidst the chaos and confusion, I discovered a beacon of light, mindfulness. So we will definitely get into your complex journey toward self-discovery and what led you on this journey toward mindfulness. But tell us about yourself. Who is Nadia Tamirli? I often answer that question by saying I am God's daughter. <laughs> um I am someone who has been spiritually connected for a very long time since I was a young little girl. But uh, outside of that, I am born to two Jamaican parents and grew up and was raised in Toronto, Ontario. With my dad, my parents built a house in Jamaica, so my dad often stayed there and we would be back and forth a lot as children. And my mother is a seamstress and from her passion of being that, I often would sit with her as she would plan fashion shows and that sort of thing. And that was the beginning of my passion for beauty. So with knowing who I am, you will know that I've been a woman of beauty from a very long time in the beauty industry, inspired by not just the beauty on the outside, but the beauty on the inside. And I've developed a whole life and a whole career based off that. When I first heard that you were a makeup artist and I saw you, the first thing that came to my mind was you are a walking billboard. Now, I don't know if you've ever had any type of skin problems, but a lot of the times the strongest testimony comes when someone can say, 
I know what it's like. I know what you're going through with your skin problems and I can help you overcome those opposed to someone who has always had flawless skin all of their lives. However, like I said, just looking at you, you clearly look like a walking billboard for cosmetics. And so how would you have considered yourself to be a walking billboard? Um, well, it's funny that you mentioned that particular phrase because that was something that God had told me years ago when I was deciding again what direction to take after a certain challenge I was facing. And he had whispered to me that you are a walking billboard, so get out there and shine. And I troubled with skin problems in my late 20s because of stress and, um, you know, nutrition problems and stuff. And I had acne, we would call it adult acne at uh, between the ages of 26 and 32. And they were just mainly on my cheeks and I, it was hard to handle because I was also like a makeup artist at that time. I was working for Mac. I worked for Mac for five and a half years. And in that training as well, they had also said that, you know, you have to step out as if you're coming out of a magazine. So we always had to pile on the makeup and, you know, wear it for long hours and stuff like that. And then on top of the stress and everything I, I was going through at the time, the pimples just kept coming and coming and coming. And with my belief, and at that time with the challenges I was facing, that's when I had started to get into, you know, you know, deepening my relationship with myself and meditating and that sort of thing. I knew that I could not heal my acne unless I lessened my stress, unless I learned to reduce that. So that also started my whole journey with that. And when I, just shortly before my skin began to heal, I had heard in my spirit again that I will be an example to other people going through this. And when your skin heals, it will heal for good. And then shortly after my skin began to heal after doing certain like practices and then also my skincare routine and certain treatments I was doing on myself. And from there, I was able to now relate to my clients that I would, because at that point I didn't have my skincare business. So I didn't know that what God was telling me was a prelude to my skincare business coming. So when my skincare business started, I knew that I went through that time and that period of acne so that I was able to now relate to my clients that were coming in the future. You knew your passion at a very young age and you pursued that passion and you built and established a career out of this vision that you had. And so at what point did you decide this was no longer something that you wanted to pursue and that you wanted to do something else? So when I was diagnosed with cancer, 
it was during that whole challenge that, you know, prompted me to go from where I was to where my future self is. And when I had my business, my skincare business, I had that for a total of seven years. And I went from having like renting a room just in a medical office to having a freestanding store. And then COVID happened. So I closed that down. And then I went to, I had a condo. So I started working out of my home. So in all that time, I was busy all the time, you know, just six days a week, six to eight clients a day, not taking time for myself. I had clients that I would see on a weekly basis, some bi-weekly and then some monthly. So I had people that were actually depending on me that were dealing with serious conditions as well. Like they weren't just coming because they wanted a facial, you know, it was to actually heal a certain condition that they were battling with. I had clients that some put a pause on dating, some didn't go into work because of how bad the conditions were. So I felt a duty to be that committed to my work, but in return, I wasn't taking care of myself at all. I would go days, there was one year where I remember I was sick six times in one year with the flu, oh, wow. you know, because I was not taking care of myself. I wasn't eating well, I wasn't sleeping well. And it wasn't until that diagnosis happened where it just like, it was like a switch. Like this happened because I, I was not taking care of myself. And I was always thinking of the next thing, you know, like fully in my masculine energy, just always action and always go, 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 but not really receiving and not being attentive to myself. And even though my clients were very praiseworthy, they were, you know, very grateful for the work that I did and the way that I made them feel, the way that they felt. I had um, some clients that, you know, we all have stressful lives, but just in different ways. And some have stressful jobs and they would look on their calendar and be like, oh, I'm seeing Nadia today. Bring on the stress. I don't care, <laughs> you know, because they knew that they would come and they would be able to release and just feel that sense of relaxation, which I felt honored to give. But when you're giving and not also receiving in return and not being able to give to yourself in return, that's where the imbalance happens. So I, you know, during the whole cancer diagnosis and before, like I knew exactly what kind of cancer and what stage it was at, there was a three week period where I was just in, just broken, you know, and I spent a lot of time in reflection, a lot of time, like introspection with myself just to really dive deeper within myself because up until this point this cancer was the last recent thing that took place in a challenging life but prior to that was other things that took place and up until this point I was able to like draw on the tools and the techniques that I had gained from before to manage a tough time 
So I would do a lot of meditating, a lot of like, so again, self-reflection and, and introspection. And what God was releasing to me before with, you know, having to keep things to myself, the wisdom gained, the lessons learned, he had mentioned in my time of introspection, now is the time to release your story. Now is the time to share your wisdom, share the lessons learned. So take me back to the beginning when you first started your journey toward awakening, which one of these experiences led you on this journey toward mindfulness and self-discovery? It was in my custody battle where it all started. I was only 24 years old, so I was very young, had two young boys. They were just three and six at the time, three going on four or 40, <laughs> but um, they were quite young and I was quite young. My older son now, he's 24, so I can't even imagine him going through something like that. But um, the father and I, we were together since teenagers. And were you married? No. Um, okay. Thankfully. <laughs> um, no, I was not married, but uh, we were engaged and we were living together as well. Um, in his parents' home, because I, you know, I was I was only twenty when I had the second one, so having them and my mother was just like, you know, two women can't live in the same house, <laughs> type of thing. So the uh, his parents had taken me in, and he was very abusive. It started verbally and mentally and emotionally at first. And then when I couldn't take those, you know, verbal abuse, I broke up with him and then the abuse became physical. And there were a few times I went to work with bruises and um, spent a lot of time like crying and hiding away from the kids so they don't see me and stuff like that. And um, I had a premonition where I saw him doing what he was doing to me, to the kids as they got older. And I didn't want that to happen. So my, oh, I have an older sister. And at that time she had mentioned that, you know, it's best I take him to court and me not knowing much, you know, I, Knew before that I didn't want to do anything like that, but then, you know, she was in the law firm and in that whole industry. So she was convincing me like, Mads, this is best to do to protect yourself, protect the kids and that sort of thing. So I listened to her and took him to court. And it was all for me to protect, not just myself, but to protect them. And... I lost. <laughs> the How long did you go through that custody battle? It was for about a month or maybe more. We had about four or five different um, 
times that we had to go back and forth to court. And all those times I was by myself and he was with his parents who were well off, they were stable, they lived in a home for 15 years at that time. And both him and I were 24 years old. So there was a lot of back and forth, but where I'm from, you know, we don't snitch. <laughs> so I actually did not talk about the abuse he was giving to me in the court system. But because I took that step and, and brought him to court, they did not relent. They just, you know, told the courts all different kinds of things about myself. And I'm standing there like in awe, like what? Like none of that is even true, you know? and I didn't have anybody on my end to defend me. So in the end, the courts, the judge had ordained it as, you know, two kids fighting over kids. So he gave us joint custody and gave the grandparents like per, like their, um, for the kids, their residence was permanent at the grandparents' home. So you mentioned that, um, you know, you pretty much had no support. You felt like he had the support of his family. And from what you mentioned about you and your mother, you know, there can only be one woman in this house. It seems like there may have been something there. Tell me about you and your family experience and what you think may have contributed to you getting in such a relationship in the first place. Well, I, I mentioned that um, I come from a Jamaican family. So in those days, Jamaican parents were very strict. And there's, I have 10 siblings, but four from my mom and my dad. So I grew up with four of my, like four of us together in the home. And my mother turned out to be a single mom because my dad, you know, did what most Jamaican men do. <laughs> traveled and did his own thing. He lived in Jamaica most of the time and we lived in Canada. So my mom raised us on her own and was mom and dad and very, very strict. And there's three of us, uh, myself, my older brother and my younger brother that are very close in age. We're all just a year and a half to almost two years apart. So at one point there were three teenagers in her home that she had to battle with. So there was a time, which was when I was 17, when she just said, forget it. I let go. You guys do what you want. I don't business anymore. And she went, because she just stayed home. She didn't have much of a life. So when she decided to do that, she went and just started to live her own life. She was never obviously out partying or anything like that, but she just would be at church longer. <laughs> she would like you know, say yes, go out, you know, instead of telling us, no, you can't go here, you can't go there, she would just say yes. So it was that summer that I met the kid's father and had a little bit too much fun and just, I um, lost my virginity on prom night and then two months later found out I was pregnant. So it was almost immediate that it happened. So I wasn't a wild child or anything like that. It was just, you know, two kids having fun. And then that was the result. So my mother has stayed home for those 17 years. And when I got pregnant, 
that's when she decided to go and work because, you know, now she was mom, dad, and grandmother and grandfather. So she went to go and work and stuff like that. So she wasn't able to come with me to these court cases. She came to one, but had to leave in the middle because, again, she had to go to court. So to the judge, it just looked like one little girl against a little boy with his family. And that family is stable. That family is, you know, well said. The, his father at the time was retired from being um, an immigration officer for years. So he was at home. He wrote a book as well. And the grandmother, she just started to work as well um, because she stayed home with her kids for a while and she just decided to go to work so she had two jobs actually so their family was quite stable and it just looked like mine wasn't and I couldn't you know as a little girl like I couldn't fight against that because it was what it what they saw So how did you end up getting out of this living situation with him? Um, Well, that was one of the instances where he had became very abusive and he spat on me. He hit me. He I had a journal. He went in my journal, wrote in the journal all these profanity words and stuff like that. And that's when I had enough and I came to live with my brother and his, my brother had two kids at the time as well. And uh, his, his uh, kid's mom in an apartment. So there was a lot of us in the two bedroom. (laughs) So after that whole court case took place, that's where I was when I was going through that. And um, shortly after that, that's when I had gotten my own, apartment a little basement apartment and that's where like all the the whole healing the self-discovery journey happened because now I'm faced with coming home with you know two noisy boys to now coming home to nobody to silence so that's when I started to dive deeper into myself and learned about meditation and learned about quieting myself within. I was deep in prayer at that time. And I was no like perfect Christian girl or anything, but I always knew to call on God. And I always knew to have a relationship with him through the Bible. So I would read certain scriptures and stuff like that, that I would pull on to get me through. And my mom was such a great comfort at that time too, because she as well didn't grow up with her mother. So she had comforted me in a way where it's like, you know, boys need their father at these times. So it's okay, Nadia, let them grow with their father. You will still be there. She didn't grow with hers and she turned out to be fine. And it sometimes is what happens. It's sometimes how things play out so just allow it to and for some reason she just always knew when I was deeply hurting because she would just show up at the door and there were a few times where she would just take my head and lay it in her lap and just pray for me and like wipe my tears and just comfort me you know so 
So it doesn't sound like this experience made you angry. It sounded like it made you sad. It made me very sad, but it made me also very, very, very angry. Um, I was very angry at the father because just before the verdict, he had convinced me and manipulated me at that time to just give up and it's better for them and that sort of thing. And I'm like, no, I'm better for them. Like my kids need me and all that. And when the verdict came, like I just gave into it instead of like appealing it or anything like that. And in the end, he just wanted to win the battle. Like he just wanted to win the battle. He continued to be his, you know, single wild self after that. The kids were mainly with their grandparents. He was out partying, drinking and stuff like that. And just being reckless when I was just at home doing nothing, you know, and there was a period of time where the kids were busier than I was. They had them in soccer, hockey and swimming all at once. So when time came for like practice or games, like they wouldn't tell me where these games were or where these practices were. Cause at that time they would be in different fields and that sort of thing. And I would always ask, where is the next game? Where is the practice going to be? And there were six adults in the house at that time. And no one knew, no one would tell me. And there was, the, you know, brother's girlfriend that was there that would call me on the side and say, Natty, I know what they're doing. This is where the games are. This is because we had sons the same age. So she would tell me where their games were and I would show up, but I would show up late or I would show up, you know, not to this one, but have to go to the next one because I'm only taking the bus and that sort of thing and struggling and stuff like that. And I became so angry because when I would be leaving, when, we, when the games were over, like they would be going in one direction and I'm going in another direction. And then I would see him like, you know, then drive off and the father like, haha, like laughing at me and stuff like that. And just really taunting me, you know, and we had so many problems that like they kept me. They did not include me in a lot of things in their school or in certain things that they went through, I would be the last to find out. So with being a mother and not having the intention to take into court to lose, I was like hurt, I was sad, I was angry, I became bitter for so many years. Like I and that's kind of why I feel like the whole cancer thing came on years later because I carried so much hate in my heart towards this one individual for a long time, you know? So do you remember the moment where you just made the decision that you were going to move forward and take action in order to grow from whatever you had to go through? Do you remember, or was it, subtle steps that you took daily that led you on this journey? It was subtle steps um, because there was a battle 
in between all of that. It wasn't just, you know, I lost the case and that was it. It was a battle that I had to fight between myself and their dad for many, many years. And it wasn't until the kids were teenagers where they had to, you know, they had their own phones and I didn't need to go through the grandparents or go through the father to get to them anymore. Where I was able to actually build a, a close relationship with them. But up until then, it was such a battle between myself and the three of them. And I had made a decision because, you know, a lot of things have to do with your finances. And at that point, because I was so, you know, heartbroken and sad and all that stuff, like I wasn't up on my finances as much as I should be where I made a decision to do something so that I could get enough money for me to get like a really nice, like what I wanted to provide for them, a really nice, decent apartment, two bedroom where they can have their own space and that sort of thing. Like get back to where I was before I had lost custody. And I made that decision to traffic drugs. And that's what led me to prison. And it was in my time of prison where that whole forgiveness stage happened. Like I had to forgive and let go. And now I'm, I went to prison in Grenada, which is obviously miles and miles away from Toronto. So now it's like I was forced, like no matter what it is I tried previously, Everything just kept taking me further and further away, and I'm farthest away from them. So, so now walk me through this experience as well. At what point do you start to get um, influence to traffic drugs, and then when do you end up in prison? Um, I was dating somebody who was in that world and it was introduced to me just in conversation i just heard them talking about it and it's something that i would have never done because i was so against that kind of life and whatever but being at a desperate moment as that i was like hmm <laughs> i could do that and then i heard what the amount would be and i'm like I need that. So even though that person would not have asked me, it was like, it was like an invitation, you know, like for me, from for like a segue for me to just put myself in there and be like, I can do this, you know? And I was back and forth of no, 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 I wouldn't let you, no, 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 to okay, fine you know, after months, it didn't happen right away or anything. How long were you in it before you actually ended up in prison because of it? Um, it just happened that time, you know, so it was like within a matter of like three or four months. And I just for some reason, that motivation was still there because the depression was still there and was still very real and so very like present that I was like, this is my only way out to get them back. 
you know, and that was like my only focus was getting my kids back, getting my kids back, getting my kids back. I couldn't think of anything else. So when the time came and that happened, you know, I'm in my whole like, okay, I'm going to go and I'm going to pray about this. And everything just happened so seamlessly, so perfectly. You know, everything just flowed so easily where it's like, okay, it's meant to happen. This is it. Because, you know, you look for clues and stuff like that. And all the clues from the universe came in just the ease of it coming. The flight was booked very easily. Like everything was just done quickly. And I was only supposed to be there for five days. So I only brought my Bible with me. I was studying about the angels at that time. I brought like a little like booklet about angels. And it was the five days that I spent there. It was just spent in, you know, just time alone, time of reflection, like what I'm going to do when I go back home now. And like, you know, we have those moments where you kind of plan out your perfect day. So I would envision my perfect day with the kids. I would, you know, see myself getting up, you know, washing up, making breakfast, getting them ready for school. Like I just planned out my day, how I would want it to be when I return and just kept visualizing and manifesting. I didn't know anything about manifestation. I didn't know anything about visualization, but I just knew that I need to see it before it happens. So in those five days that I spent in Grenada before I got held, that's what I was doing. That's what I was praying for. This experience, I believe, is so common to everyone to a certain degree, you know, maybe not to the extent that it may lead everyone to be incarcerated, but there is always those signs that look like they are blessings from God. And because we are so caught up in trying to overcome our challenges, we don't recognize that they are the enemy. Even when we know right from wrong, even like it's black and white, we don't really need anyone to tell us that um, we should not traffic drugs. Like we get that at a very young age, but like you said, when the opportunity presents itself and it's the only opportunity that seems that it's coming as your way out, it does appear to be a blessing. It does. So I definitely see how you or anyone else that was in your situation could get caught up in that moment. But once you got caught up, what was prison life like for you? Well, before I get to that point of it, um, it was exactly a week and four days before I actually went to prison that I had prayed a prayer to God. And I was at a very dark state because the father kept saying things like, you're just an additive. They don't need you you're worthless, like kept saying all those kinds of things to me. So I had prayed a prayer and I asked God to either, I can't take it anymore. 
you either take my life or you change it. I don't know how, but you're going to do either or. I don't want to live this way anymore. Because it was like I was fighting a losing battle. And I was ready to take my life. And I often tell my mom, I told my kids at one point when they were old enough to understand that you would be going to my grave today instead of me being here having this story because I kept asking, like I just kept seeing a vision of me in a coffin. And then I would see sometimes me stepping out in front of a bus and just standing there and just letting the bus take me over. Like I was so close to death mentally and spiritually that prison actually saved my life, which is why I feel that it was something that God ordained to happen because I would be walking on prison ground and having deja vu moments of me actually being there already. And prison literally saved my life because I was so close to taking it myself, you know? And the day that I got caught, I felt so much peace. Like, it's so hard for me to explain it, but I had so much peace that day. And even when I got faced with the officers, they I was the last, I don't want to get too deep into it because all of it is in my memoir it, and it goes into it in, in depth. But when uh, the cops stopped me, I was the last person to get on the flight. So they had already checked everybody on the flights and there was just one more person to get on. So they just said, we're just going to do a quick check. And once you're fine, the plane is waiting for you. You can go. And when they were doing the check, like I'm not really a talkative person naturally. That day, I was talking up a storm, making them laugh. We talked, they, they opened my Bible, opened it up, went through all the pages and saw like how much I highlighted it and underlined it they were like what you were really into your bible girl and we were talking about that and i was making them laugh about so many different things <laughs> but i felt a certain kind of peace that did not resonate it was not there beforehand you know so i got caught and it wasn't it was on my body so it was a while after that they discovered where it was and that sort of thing and then like the rest is history. But while I was going through the questioning process, they had they had said, you know, if there's any question that we ask you and you don't feel comfortable asking, just say you don't want to answer. I didn't answer anything. I didn't answer anything at all. They kept coming at me with different questions, different ways. I didn't answer anything. They had pictures of the people that I was there with to do the work with or whatever, and I didn't answer a thing. But there was somebody who had gotten caught before me, like two weeks before me, that gave them everything. You know, he told them everything about what was happening and how they did it and whatever. And I just acted dumb towards everything. So my whole demeanor was very strong. and. It was not before that, you know, but my whole demeanor at that time was very like poised and just very strong. And after the questioning, 
the head officer left and the two there was two other officers left in there and they're like i will never forget you like <sighs> you are such a strong person the way that you speak like we're in such awe and we can't believe that we came across somebody who has this kind of demeanor but did something like this and we even understand because i had told them that about my kids and stuff like that and the lady that was there the lady officer she just had a son as well so she was like i would have done the same thing i would have feel i would have felt that upset and that sad and that angry the same way that you felt you know so i must say you don't look like anything that you have been through and I would 100% agree with them from your soft spoken demeanor and your calmness. You bring a level of tranquility. I don't know if you were able to exude that while you were facing this battle of fighting for your children or not, but I could not imagine you in any prison. So, <laughs> yes, I'm definitely curious to know what it was like to experience that being there i knew that it was my time to get closer to god it was my time to forgive what happened it was my time to let go of everything because when your back is up against the wall all you see is god mm -hmm. and even though i was so close to god at that point like in my own relationship my own walk with him I knew that I had to go deeper. So my time spent in prison was pretty much all about God. I never left my cell without my Bible. I had three different Bibles. I had the King James Version, which I got when I was there. I went there, I had a Catholic Bible, which had like eight more books in the Bible than regular books or regular Bibles. I had the New Testament Bible and I was reading a different section of the Bible in each one every day. And I had devotion books because they would have like, you know, church people and stuff that would visit the church for like charity and stuff like that. So they would often bring like monthly um, devotion books that we could use and stuff. And I would not leave my, my cell unless I prayed meditated. God taught me that prayer. And he taught me that deeply when I was in prison, that prayer is you talking to me and meditation is you listening to me. So as you pray, take time after to hear me, let me talk to you. And I would just sit there. I often did it the way other way around because God knows what we are going to say before we say it. God knows our deepest part. So I often felt the need to not even speak and I would just sit there in quietness and listen to like the voice, still small voice speak and give different directions and so much things, so many things happened. So much happened while I was in prison. It's hard for me just to sum it up, which is why I, I have the memoir coming, but he prompted me that so many things were to, were to take place before they happened. And take me to that time when you were 
first diagnosed with cancer? I was having, you know, some symptoms within myself where I felt like I had digestive problems and it was going on for a while and prior to COVID I was seeing my doctor about the digestive issues and I had gone to get a colonoscopy but when COVID came and we weren't able to go see the doctor freely the symptoms again started to come back so when I was able to go to the doctor and see him, he just, you know, mentioned that it would be like irritable bowel syndrome, change my diet, you know, go on a FODMAP diet and remove this, add in this, that sort of thing. But I knew in my heart that it wasn't that. And there was a moment where I had woken up one night and I went to the washroom and I heard clearly in my head cancer and it hit me like a ton of bricks, you know, like I felt it resonates too deeply. So I immediately started to cry because it felt like it was real. So I had something in me just keep saying like, keep going to the doctor, keep pushing to see the specialist, keep going, keep going. And I would even call at times where I didn't want to, you know, and I ended up like getting ultrasounds done and that sort of thing. And then they still didn't see anything. So I was having a particular pain and I would ask the doctor to book me to the, to the ultrasound now because I'm having the pain right now. And I would let the technician like put the camera right to where the pain was. And because it felt like there was fire inside, you know, like it felt like burning on the inside. And then that's when she noticed something. So I had asked to see the same specialist that I saw to do the colonoscopy. And it was in me going to see her. And again, with her, she also wanted to kind of brush it off as if it was something common. And she, you know, I told her my symptoms and she had said, okay, well, let me do my examination and let's see. She did the examination and was like, whoa, okay, so I'm going to book you for a biopsy and we'll go from there. A couple of days later, I had the biopsy and felt okay going in. She was very kind to me that day. The nurse was very kind as well. But after the procedure and I left, it's like every step I was taking was like, that word just kept coming, like, it's cancer, cancer, cancer. And I kept crying more and more and more. And I just felt so deep that something was wrong. So because of how busy I was, because at, at this point I had three locations, one out of my home and then two, one far north and then another one far east. This, this is your skincare business. Okay. And um, I 
just was on my, I, I didn't answer her phone calls for about a week and a half where she was trying to get in touch with me and I didn't get back to her. And one day I was on my way to the East and decided to call her on the way. And that's when she, you know, had expressed how much she was trying to get in touch with me and that, you know, we need to discuss this because you do have cancer. And I immediately broke down and she just told me the procedure of what's to come next and certain tests that needs to be done and that sort of thing. And I had to pull off the highway. And um, my mother had passed away at this point, so I didn't have her comfort to go to. So I went to the next best thing, which was my younger sister, <laughs> and um, told her what just was revealed to me. And we both broke down. She tried to stay strong for me and stuff, but I broke down and stuff. And it was just very difficult to deal with. And at that point, I just canceled all my clients. A few days later, I went to the establishments where I was renting the rooms out of for my business, for the skincare business, and told them that, you know, this is what I'm facing right now, and I don't want to stress myself out any further and be back and forth. So I'll just continue working out of my home and see whatever clients I can see. But that's where I just gave up the fight and gave up all those challenging, you know, just forcing myself to make things happen and stuff like that and just rest completely. So I, my hope began to, you know, to brighten a little bit more. But up until that point, I didn't know what kind of cancer exactly, where I knew where it was, but I didn't know the stage of it. So for the, for those like two to three weeks where I was doing, you know, our MRIs and CAT scans and all that and waiting for results, that's when my whole perspective on life changed, just within those three weeks of waiting. And every time I would go to the doctor, I go to get one of those tests done and I had to go to um, Sunnybrook to the Cancer Society and see an oncologist, like Everybody in, in the hospital, like, they were all, you know, sick. And I would just look at them and then see myself. And I would just start, like, thank God we had to wear the mask. But, like, from here up, it was just crying. Like, my eyes are bloodshot red, tears overflowing my mask, snot up all in my mask. <laughs> like, I was, and I was by myself this whole time. I have an older brother who offered to come with me. And, no, it's okay. I'm fine. I'll be fine. But I think I'm fine until I actually get there. And then that's when it all comes down. So it just, it was just very difficult to deal with. And I lived on my own at that time. And, you know, when I would have conversations with my sisters and brothers and stuff, and then I would get off, like I would get off and then be by myself. I only had stage two cancer so they gave me the option to either have the surgery or do chemo and radiation and with just the surgery there's still a chance that they could not cut the whole tumor so 
they said it's a risk of just having this, the surgery over half the other two. And I audited for only the surgery. So I, w- I was able to get the surgery two months after being diagnosed. And this was in 2022. So from then till now, I've just had to stay up on my appointments. Um, I did, you know, the the testings again afterwards to make sure that the surgery was successful, which it was, praise God. And went to the oncologist. He okayed me to, you know, just continue to live life. He said, now I'm cancer-free, so go live life as if it never happened. And I did. (laughs) God is good. He is very, very faithful. And the image that I used for the cover of uh, Awaken Your Best Self is the picture I took of myself on the day that I found out that I was cancer-free. And um, went to a few appointments afterwards. And then I was faced with a decision to either, because at that point, my business, I didn't go back full force into my business. Instead of doing six clients a day, I was only doing three clients a day. And then I used to put on a lot of promotions, lots of packages, because I always felt this passion and this gift I had. It was for me to give back. So I very rarely charged full price for my services. And not only did I not charge full price, but I also added tax into my prices. So after being diagnosed and going through that whole ordeal, I said, I'm adding taxes on top of my service. I know my worth. I'm going to live according to my worth now. I will not cheapen myself or sell myself short anymore because I'm giving a lot of myself and not receiving like my I received praise from my clients my clients all loved me they all bought packages everything but I still did not feel the same reciprocation coming back to me because I it was what I did I spoiled my clients it's nothing on them at all it was just something that I did to myself so after coming out of that, and I said, I'm not putting on any more promotions, not giving any more packages, and I'm going to add tax on top of my price now. Then my client list started to lessen. I started to have less and less clients come. I had some clients that were like, why am I, why is it raising so high? And it's like, it's the same price. I just added tax on top. And I had a client once before all this happened that would said, well, I got to wait for all the good deals coming out, you know, and that's when I felt like you got to wait for a deal when I'm like pouring my blood, sweat and tears into your facials and into making you feel the way that you feel. But yet you're waiting for my packages. You're not paying me for my words. So when my business started to slowly diminish, I just let it. I didn't fight it. Um, I started to get into energy a lot more before I had the understanding of chakras and all that. But I got more into masculine and feminine energy and balancing the two. And 
during my whole business, I was only operating in my masculine energy and just did not pay any attention to my feminine energy. And then I began to know that with our feminine energy, we are to receive and be creative and to multiply. And in our masculine energy, it's all about action. It's all about doing. It's all about going, going, going. So I started to come more into my feminine energy. And I just let things flow. Things that were becoming too challenging, too difficult, too hard. I just let them go. And then slowly my business started to go. And with business going and being an entrepreneur, being a single woman as well, I mean, I was dating, but there was nobody substantial in my life to kind of pick up what I had before. And then bills started piling up, things just started to get more difficult in that way. But I, at the same time, I was, I was receiving a lot more peace. Like I felt so peaceful within. And then I came to a decision of either because at that point, my I was renting a condo and my rent was never raised for the three and a half years I was there. And um, the where I was, which was the, pretty much the heart of downtown, the market rent was like $600 more than what I was paying. So my landlord came to me and said, you know, she's not making any money off of this unit and she wants to raise the the rent to market rent. And she knew my situation because I had to tell her about the whole cancer ordeal. And, you know, she was patient with me throughout the time. And I could have fought it. I could have stayed. I could have, you know, pushed harder. I could have challenged her or challenged the situation. But I chose not to. <laughs> And um, that's what led me to actually give up everything. At that point, I closed my business completely because I wasn't benefiting from it anymore. And then I gave up my condo and I sold everything. And then that's what led me to Thailand. And when I settled on the area, which was Phuket, because I wanted to be by the water, and I found an Airbnb. I sold, you know, quite a few things in my condo. So I was able to buy. And then I had quite a few clients before I closed it down. So I had quite a bit of money for me to book my ticket and book the Airbnb. So because I had the flight booked and the Airbnb booked, I knew exactly where I would be staying. So in meditation, I saw myself in those places. I saw myself on that airplane. I saw myself sitting on that exact couch that I saw on the Airbnb picture. Then I would use the Google Maps, the Google Photos, and see from where my Airbnb was, where it was to the beach. And I would track it through the little Google Photos. So I started to see myself walking up this hill. And then I started to research like co-working spaces in the area. And all these things I did so that I could envision it and see myself there so that it's a reality. Because where you are in your mind is where you actually really are, not where you are physically. So I would go to where I was in Thailand for me to place myself there realistically. 
and then it became a reality. It was, I gave up my place. Um, like I told the, the landlord, you know, you could show the place, it's yours, I'm leaving. Um, April 29th, and I left June 1st on the flight. <laughs> so and did you get a job in Thailand? Like, how were you nope. able to? Oh, wow. So that's where the challenge came in now. Um, and nobody knows this about me because I did not speak about this at all. I just wanted to like go through what God wanted me to go through. I wanted to go through this purging process that he had me on. And even though I would have wanted it to last a week, <laughs> maybe just a month, it lasted for seven months. So I went through a purging process, an ego death. I went through many ego deaths. I went to Thailand by myself and I only planned to stay there for a month. But when I was there, I fell in love with the island. I fell in love with the peace. The people there, they call it the smiling island and they call it that for a reason. Like the people are so friendly there. I felt so safe. Everything that I needed. My first day when I got there, I, I took a walk after dinner. And I'm like, everything I need is right here. There's a grocery store. There's cafes. There's stores. There's a beach. I, had, I was in between two beaches, which were both a seven-minute walk in each direction. And I was like, I can do this. And every time, every step I took, I was like, I can do this. I can do this. So I did it, and I just stayed there. And whatever money I had when I when I sold my place, sold like all my belongings in my place, that's the money that I had when I was there. And the money ran out. And it's like God, because I truly believe that God takes care of us. He takes care of his children. And just like how when I was in Grenada, I related my experience in Thailand a lot to my experience in Grenada because it was a time of rest for me. And I completely rested from everything, even though my ego wanted to like work and to, you know, get this position, find jobs online, nothing was showing up. So there was a period of time where I was there and I just completely let go. And then people started to show up in my life that were able to actually take care of me. And it was the men in my family. And, you know, my older son, I don't know where he started getting money from. But a lot of a sudden he started getting money where he was able to send me the amount I needed for me to live there, for me to eat. And then I had another relative that, you know, Anything that I needed, he's like, just call me because it doesn't matter. Just call me. I'm here for you. And then my father was there. One of my brothers were able to. So it's like God just wanted me to completely rest and not have to worry about anything. And even though I fought it because, again, of my ego. No, I absolutely understand this. My personal journey toward self-discovery was very similar um, where I was financially dependent on my 
mother and before my grandmother passed away, my grandmother as well. And it is such a blessing to be able to have family who is capable of supporting you that way. Not everyone is capable and not everyone is willing. And I will say for myself, like you said before, so many people in your family, they have they have this perception of you and what you're supposed to be doing with your life. And so they're not always willing to give you that support because they don't believe in what you're doing. And for me, I know personally, my family saw it as irresponsible. So, you know, you're being irresponsible to think that you can just pack up and leave this way. And now you're asking us to... <laughs> to help you. You know what I mean? So it's like, no, figure it out. You know, you wanted to do this. You're chasing a dream, you know? So it's like, go figure it out. But you know, that is God when someone is supporting you against their own will. When they're like, you know, I don't even believe in what you're doing, but I'm going to send you, <laughs> I want to send you this money anyway. So I absolutely understand what that, what that means and what that is like. And just knowing that God does use those people close to us to show us that it is him and to keep going on the journey, despite what the social standards and social norms tell you that you should be doing, you know, sometimes we have to realize we made some mistakes and we're going all the way back to square one. We have no choice if we want to become who God has created us to be. So when did you get to that point where you started to um, feel like you were back in purpose? It was about my third month there. Um, I finally had gotten out of the energy of Toronto and shedded a lot of energetic weights off of me and came into complete surrender to God at that point. And it was the time when I was at, at the beach and I was in the water because everybody thought that I was living this glamorous life. Even though my pictures were quite basic, I did not visit the elephants. I did not go to the tigers. I just literally went to the beach and home. And there was a rooftop pool, so I that was part of my vision that I saw too, but I was on the rooftop pool often. But outside of that, I didn't do any like extravagant things. And there were two occasions, one close to the beginning and one towards the end when I was in the water at the beach. And I just said yes. You know, I just said yes to God, to whatever it is that you are calling me to do, whatever your purpose is in this time of desolation and purging and just renewal. I say yes to it, you know, because to me, God's way is the best way. It doesn't even you don't even have to know what it is, but God's way is always better than your own. And. When I made the decision to come back, because I could have stayed longer, but I just felt like I needed to come back home for some reason. And it was when I was back here, back in Toronto, that I realized 
what all of that was for. You know, right from cancer to, you know, the letting go of the business to making the decision to go to Thailand and all my time in Thailand. Like I came to a realization that God is calling me to not just share my story, but to now teach people on how to be present, how to live in present moment awareness, how to tap into the power within, how to manifest and affirm your life because there are scriptures in the bible that i often pull on um that really allow me to believe in manifestation which is asking you shall receive and there's another scripture in habakkuk when it says to write down your vision and make it plain for on the appointed time it will come to pass so I often go back to manifesting, like envisioning what it is that I I desire. But at the end of my my time of visualizing, I always say, let your will be done. Because this is my will, but I give you my plans and you take it and you do what is on your path that you have destined for me. I am so relieved that you spoke on that because you are um, a mindfulness coach and a meditation guide and your affirmations, your YouTube videos, affirmations are absolutely amazing. By the way, you definitely have a gifted voice and you have a voice for it. So I definitely think you were purposed for it, but there are so many people who can misconstrue what it means to recite affirmations, especially when you do it apart from the will of God. And it can become wishful thinking. You, Yes, we do have the power to manifest and we even have the power to manifest outside of his will, which we don't want to do, as you were saying, with the... Um, drug trafficking situation like yeah I was manifesting then too but that was not of God so I am so happy that you brought that up because it is important that you speak what he speaks you says what he says about you and that it's not of your own will but it is within his will so in sharing your um, affirmations do you also um, speak on that at all? Not yet, because I just wanted to build an audience, get these affirmations, some meditation guides out there. But um, I have a very big uh, family that's predominantly Christian in different denominations, but predominantly they're all Christian. And I've had a battle with two of my family members about this topic, saying that meditation is demonic. Now, there is a fine line between spirituality and God, like the new age spirituality and God. I personally don't 
I'm going to be very controversial when I say this, but it's my personal belief. I don't refer to myself as a Christian because I believe that these denominations and these religions, they're all man-made. But I consider myself to be Christ-like. I strive to be Christ-like. I am God-fearing, and I believe in the scriptures of the Bible. I believe in God. When I was in prison, I went through a period of time where I had nothing in there. Um, my main problem in prison was authority. So I had a lot of back and forth with the officers. And in one of those back and forths, I got locked up for seven days, bread and water. So in my moment of more lockup, <laughs> in lockup, <laughs> I had this vision with God where it reflects Psalm 1, where you're by the rivers of water and your leaves, the, the roots go out into the stream and your leaves do not wither. In times of famine, you're, you bear fruit. So I have this vision of me sitting by a tree by the river and in the river, the rocks are carbuncles and the gates and crystals and jades and just very fine, you know, rubies and stuff. And inside the water, it's sparkling. So anytime I go into a meditation, I, and they, you know, in the guided meditation, it would lead you to go to a serene, lake or a serene place in your mind that's my serene location is by the rivers of water and i had stated earlier that god had taught me that prayer is you talking to god and meditation is you listening to god and i learned all of that outside of the internet outside of this new age spirituality where you like what you just said it's wishful thinking. It's you coming out of God's will by you wanting what you want and not wanting what God wants for you. So that's my understanding of it. And also throughout all the challenges that I mentioned with, you know, prison, with um, custody battle, prison, cancer scare, and then losing my business, it was meditation and prayer, my devotion to God that got me through all of that. So there was a time when I was in prison, again, I said I didn't have anything. And I was instructed by the spirit to make a list of everything that I want. So my hair, I went into prison with my hair like this, because I always had, I don't know why I always like short hair, but when I came back, my hair was as long as yours. It was down past my shoulder. So this was about a year, about a year after I got sentenced. I didn't have no shampoo, no conditioner, nothing, no, nothing for my face. My pimples were, my acne was extreme then. I had nothing to cream my body with. I just saw toiletries that you're used to. I had nothing. I had fluff in my hair. I swear I had a web in there. <laughs> it was, it was not good. So I made a list of everything that I wanted. And then this was at night, so it's not like I made the list in the day, showed the other girls, and went to my bed. This was in my cell, in the privacy of my cell. And then I prayed Psalm 34, uh, test me and know that I am God. 
So, or try me and know that I am God. And then I went to bed. And then I, I think I prayed also Psalm 23. The very next morning, I woke up. I guess this is vanity because the first thing on my <laughs> list was shampoo and conditioner. The first two things on my list got checked off. There was a lady that was at the other end of the hall, came to me. She, they called us by her last name. And my maiden last name is Stevens. So just so you know. But she came to me. She's like, Stevens, you know, say you came to a dream. You came to me in a dream and said you needed this here. And she gave me shampoo and conditioner. Oh. Then the day went on. And then I got a visit from somebody. And I'm big on fruits and vegetables. And in the prison, we weren't getting that. We weren't getting any fruits, no vegetables. The same uh, pastor that I told you about showed up with a bag of vegetables. And all the vegetables that he brought were on my list. Bananas, apples, pears, pineapples, like everything. Everything I listed was on my list. And then another lady came into the prison and she was to stay with this other girl that I was with and her daughter came to visit. So the next day her daughter came back and she said, those two girls that are taking care of you, because it was an older lady, she said, those two girls that are taking care of you, give them these things. And the things that she gave me was on my list. Now, nobody knew about this list. I didn't have time to tell anybody, okay? So that's actually what my memoir is called, or what I named it at first. It was called The List, based off of that story. I'm going to need to look up that scripture. I do know the be still and know that I am God. And also know in Malachi when he says to test him and see if he won't pour you out a blessing that's big enough to receive, but I'm not too familiar off top, which scripture you're referring to. And because we all read so many different translations, it can say it different ways in various different translations, but I need to look up that scripture, put it, put it under my pillow, <laughs> create my list. That is amazing. I did it three other times after that. After that list, everything got checked off. And the only person I shared what happened, I didn't share my list with her, but I shared what happened, was an officer that I became very close with. She was like an angel of God. But she was part of the reason why I was in prison too. But uh, we had a very deep, close relationship with God together. And... She inspired me to keep going, keep making these lists. And every time I made the list, everything came off. So when I came back home now, that became my thing. I would write, I called the manifestation lists. And that's how I started my business. That's how I grew my business from it being a store to going to a freestanding store. I listed how when I when I left that spa as a spa manager, I went home and I made a list of how I want my business to go, what I want to include, how I want to start and how I want to grow. Because I don't believe in just going to the top. I believe starting here and then growing. So I made a list of how I was going to start here and then what I was going to do to grow to get my freestanding store. All of that happened. 
So when people talk about manifestation, you do them all in, in the will of God. Like I do them. And you know, when they say to make a vision board and put it away, so it's not visible, you just make it and put it away. You put it away and you let God take care of it. You let, you make these plans, these, you know, again, lists, but then you give it to God. Because another verse that comes to me is, he will do exceedingly abundantly above all that we may ask or think according, a lot of people forget this part, but it's according to the power that worketh within. So if you don't have power within, how are you going to ask anything? How are you going to envision anything for God to do above and more abundantly than that? So that's where my belief in manifestation and visualization comes in. It comes in from the word of God. It comes from the Bible. So with the whole spirituality, new age spirituality, I teeter on God's side, not on the new age stuff, because that will just get you off course to make you believe that you have the power and only you have the power. But no, the power within you is God's power that he put in you. Because those desires that you have, those visions that you have, like I had these visions of Thailand before I even knew I was going to Thailand. Mm -hmm. Thailand wasn't on a bucket list. It wasn't like I would have chosen to go to Jamaica because we have a home in Jamaica. It would be so much more easier. I just have to get a flight and that's it. But Jamaica was nowhere near my list. And I believe that the visions that you have, the desires that you have, they come from God within you. They come from your intuition. You already are living that. And it's now you have to walk into it. But if you're not living it, if you don't see it, it's not for you. But if you're forcing it, like, say you want to manifest a certain partner, but that partner is already taken. Or you want to manifest a job, but that job, you don't qualify for it. And there's somebody better suited for that, but you want to take it from that person because you just want the, the credentials for it. You're not going to get it because it's not for you. And you're not going to get that. Or you'll boyfriend. get it. You won't be able to keep it. You won't be able to but keep it because it's not for you. That part. <laughs> right? So because I've received things in the past, I've cut, got, gotten into relationships. Sorry, I've gotten into relationships in the past that I thought the guy was wonderful. But he wasn't. And it's because he wasn't mine, you know, and I've gone into jobs where situations where I thought I wanted and it's all just God showing to refine what it is that you desire and give it to me. Because before I went into prison, I said a prayer, you know, God changed my life or you take it. And then I made certain requirements. I want to see your land. I want to wake up and see your water. I want to be around a pool of water. I want to be in a dress because at that point to that time, it was early 2000s and hip huggers were in. So hip huggers, when you wear them too often, it makes you misshape. So mm. I was like, I don't want to look uncomfortable, feel uncomfortable. I just want to be in a dress all day. And I want to be in a land where I could just 
where it's hot all the time and I could wear a dress, I could see your water, I could watch your sunsets. That was my view in prison. My view was the water, I watched the sunset, I watched the moon set. I was on top of a mountain so I could see the whole land and I was in a dress all day, every day for two years. So when that realization came, I started laughing. I'm like, God, you're very funny, you know. You gave me exactly what I wanted, but I didn't say I didn't want to be in prison. Yeah, and I was just about to say that. One thing that I have learned about prayer is that, well, I should say two things. For one, we don't get to decide how he answers that prayer. It can look very different. And there are times when the prayer looks exactly like we asked for. However, just because God said yes and permitted it still does not mean that it's in his will. He will give us, or I shouldn't say, he will permit us to do something that he did not give us permission to do, simply to draw us closer to knowing what we should be asking for and better knowing his character. I've been in plenty of positions where I have gotten exactly what I prayed for. And I'm like, well, God, you said only to later have a conversation with him. And he's like, I never told you this. This is what you asked me for. Be careful what you pray for, because I'm going to show you how much out of my will you can possibly be. And I say that to ask you, what was the greatest experience that you had in Thailand? What do you feel that you got out of being there for four months? Um, I learned about discernment and abundance. And abundance isn't what we think it is. Abundance, what I gathered when I was there was living in peace, having a peace of mind, having a calm mindset, and accepting where you are in life and surrendering. Because my ego and my pride wanted so much. It wanted the time in Thailand to go a different way. But it was going the way that it was meant to go, to teach me certain lessons and again to you know have these ego deaths. And when I finally came to that realization, I was in the pool and I was floating on my back and I'm like, I'm actually living exactly how I want to live. I want to be in different, and like I wanted to live in the island. I wanted to be away from the demands of the Western world. I wanted to be creative. So at this point, this is when I started to create what I'm doing now um, with life coaching. I was creating the meditation videos then. And I had While so much you were in Thailand. Yeah, it all started there. Okay. okay. I, I tested it once. I did one video before I left and then sent it out to a few people that were in my circle. But then because I had the time now to do it, I did more in Thailand. And 
it's I get the same feeling I get now when I create them, but I I had so much joy. I felt like this was it, you know? And then even the editing process, like the whole creation part of it is what I really love. I love building websites. I built my website. I learned about um, life coaching and stuff like that. And as I'm learning about all these things that I had the time to do when I was in Thailand, I would wake up, go to the co-working space, take a break, go to the cafe, come back, go to the pool, do a little bit more work, and then go to the beach and have dinner at sunset. As I went through that process, I'm like, this is an abundant life. Like, this is the abundant life that I was asking for. And it's right here. <laughs> I was like being mean to myself, like in my ungrateful eyes. <laughs> because I wasn't appreciative of where God brought me to. And Thailand is so extremely beautiful. Just the air quality itself. And even though I went during monsoon season, the rain cooled down the island, but the rain only lasted for like 10 minutes and then it will go back to all sunshine. So I just had to sit in that realization that this is what I asked for and this is where I am and this is what I achieve. You know, this is what I, I like believe abundance and prosperity and all that to be without the finances without because everybody thinks abundance has to do with money and prosperity has to do with money but that's the last part of it you know that just the money is a tool for you to get what it is that you want but then I realized God is absolutely taking care of me even up to this day like he is taking care of me with all of my needs and literally that's all that you need you know, so it really taught me to surrender my needs to God and for me to receive his abundance and in him taking care of me. Whereas now, like I'm not, you know, in a desired place I would love to be in, in the sense of, you know, abundance and wealth and rich and all that stuff in the financial parts, but I'm completely content. I am so satisfied with my life and I'm so content that I, at this very moment and even in the moment that I had when I was in Thailand, that I don't need anything else. And that realization alone is what brought me to complete true peace. Like I had peace to the point where it was borderline boredom. And I had to realize I am absolutely not bored. This is just peace. This is life without drama. This is life without chaos. And that's what my purpose is, is to teach people now how to live their life without chaos, how to have peace in their life and to accept the stillness, the quietness, and be content with all of that, without wanting all the drama and all the excitement. Just be content with the stillness in your life. Would you say that is because um, you have overcome so much or is it in spite of everything that you are still going through? Like this all pretty much started with a custody battle, but now your children are grown up and you are cancer free. Amen. Thank God. 
you are uh, working again, you are now generating another income. So the peace, the contentment that you have now, like where you currently with your children is the relationship a lot better or are you at peace in spite of still working through that? I'm in, I'm in the peace in spite of my life isn't perfect. It's not where, again, like where I would want to be because I, you know, you and your ego self, you want more, but I am content with how life is. Like I still cry over my relationship with my children because it's not exactly, you know, where I would want it to be. I want them to be here with me. I want to be included. I want to be involved. And it's not there. And I have my moments, but I have my moments where I come back to self and pull on the tools of practicing mindfulness by being here in the present moment and being content with what I have now and knowing that I am right where I, I'm supposed to be. Not ahead, not behind. I'm, I have exactly what I'm meant to have. And who is meant to be in my life now is in it and who's not it's not their place to be in it. And I have this realization and it came from me losing my mom that God loves us more than we love them. Like he loves my mom more than I love my mom. And, you know, he, like, we are all his children. She belongs to him, not to me. And my children belong to him and not to me. They're just on loan for this lifetime. But at the end of the day, just like how I'm God's daughter, they're God's sons. So I leave them, I pray for them all the time, but I leave them in God's hands. And I try not to hold on in that sense of, even though I get there sometimes, I was just there a couple of days ago, but I come to that realization that God has them. And he, just how he took care of me, and I'm sure my mom and my dad did not think I was going to go to prison. <laughs> they did not plan for that. They were taken back, obviously. But with my mom's faith, she knew that I was taken care of because she was a, a woman of faith. So I, I do the same to my children. I let them go and I let them in God's hands. And there's a vision that I have of a bird sitting on a nest in the midst of a storm. But in the midst of the storm, the bird is gently sleeping there because it's in peace. And that's how I feel. I feel like I am that bird sitting on my nest in the midst of the storm going on around me. Describe for me what it means to let your mother go now that she has passed away connected for me to your relationship with her and now that she has passed on you having to let that go well my mother and i we had a tumultuous relationship I was actually supposed to be born on her birthday, but I came out four days later. So a lot, there's a lot of similarities between the two of us. So when growing up, I was like an easy target for her because I was able to understand where she came from. And 
there's a lot of stories that she had that she went through when she was young that I just sat and I listened to. So whenever she had outbursts, it's like I always understood. I never disrespected her, never, you know, got out of line with her, even though she would, you know, be quite um, harsh with me. And when she passed away, a week before she passed away, actually, I'll mention this, but a week before she passed away, we had, my mom passed away from Alzheimer's. So her memory was at the point where she was like going backwards in life and thinking of us as teenagers. But she knew I had children. So she, I went to visit her and she had asked me about the boys. And at that point, the boys, they were, they're very business oriented. So they were thinking of like starting, they not thought, they did. They started a little business where they would buy clothes at very low price and then sell them at market price to their friends around and stuff. So I was telling her about that. She was like, oh my gosh, that's so amazing. Like they're just like their, their grandmother and their grandfather, very business oriented. And we were standing in front of a plaque. That uh, was the first Corinthians 13, the, the love chapter of the Bible. So she came up with an idea and she's like, you need to tell them to do this. Get a t-shirt brand and break up this scripture into different t-shirts. Love is patient. Love is dot, 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 kind. Love is dot, 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 and continue, but have them on different t-shirts. And we both had like, we both. We're so excited about this. We had goosebumps. She was like, oh my God, I have goosebumps. At the same time, I had goosebumps and I felt it like all over my body. And we just had this, like, we're very childlike. So we both had this little giggle and like giddy feeling like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Yes, I'm going to tell them to do that. And that was my last conversation with her. So on the day that she passed away, I was the closest one in proximity to her. So I showed up first. And it's like I knew the moment that she died because I felt like um, a complete peace for some reason. Like I felt a stillness. I was crying about something, a totally different situation. And then all of a sudden, I was just the crying stopped and the peace took over. And then when I went, when I heard that uh, they couldn't get in touch with her and I went to see where she was and stuff. And she had passed in her sleep, so she passed peacefully. I literally felt like, and I feel this up to this day, but I felt like she took all generational curses, all torments, all disease with her. Because with the four of us that she, ha she has with my dad, we all felt that same peace. And we still feel it. Like we, It's like, I don't know what happens in the afterlife, so I'm not going to say, but I do feel that she, like our energy lives on. And I feel that she's guiding us every step of the way. And I see it in each one of our lives. But I feel like in my own life that she has went on to continue to guide me and comfort me. Because even during the time of cancer, when I really needed her comfort, I felt it. And in the times when I had to pull on it when I was in Thailand, like I felt it. I felt her presence. And I felt this deeper connection to God through her because she taught us about God. 
And the Bible that I have, it's actually her Bible that I took like maybe a couple of weeks before she had passed. Before my last time with her, I went there and I, I misplaced my Bible. So I, I went and sniped one from her. <laughs> she had many. And even though she wasn't able to leave something tangible to us, like leave, you know, an inheritance or money or anything like that, she left in, in an intangible inher inheritance for us. Um, something that we were able to pull on spiritually, like a spiritual strength from her teachings throughout her life with us. And anytime I think about her, and I give this advice to any of my friends that lose their mothers or fathers, that any time that you think about her or think about your, your lost parent, to be grateful for the life that they lived. And not just thankful for the life that they lived, be thankful for the lessons that they learned and the lessons you learned through them. Because that's what made you who you are. And it's like I like I mentioned, I had a tumultuous relationship with her. And it's like none of that ever existed. She When she left, it was like she was an angel this whole entire time. Like we didn't have no problems. Like I can't, even though a lot of my my hangups and my insecurities and all that came from my relationship with my mom. I'm thankful for it. And it's like, it it all happened to make me who I am today. What advice would you give to someone who is going through a difficult relationship with their parents who are still alive? How would you suggests they handle that situation before their parents or before they even, you know, life is not promised to anyone, not you or your parents. So how would you suggest someone um, make amends or reconcile that while their parents are still alive? I tell this to a lot of people because when they're gone, you don't remember the bad. You only remember the good about them. And our parents, they didn't have the resources that we have today to deal with certain issues or traumas that they had. And I don't know about yourself, but mostly in Canada and mostly with the people that I know, like, I don't really know anybody that is a second or third or fourth generation Canadian. Like, I'm a first generation Canadian. And almost everybody I know is first generation Canadian, which means that our parents came from somewhere. And because they came from somewhere, the life that they lived in those places they weren't anything like this, like whether it's Russia or England or Ireland, Jamaica, <laughs> islands, anywhere. And the way that they grew up is completely different from how we grew up. And that's where my patience came in with my mom. And it's because she shared a lot of her, her stories with me where I was able to see where her pain came from. So when she lashed out, I didn't like it, but I understood it. 
and I would just take myself into another corner until she calmed down. But I never disrespected her or called her out of her name because of that understanding. And she didn't have the help. Like right now, we can get therapy online. You know, we could have phone calls and have therapy sessions with people. We have podcasts now. We have so many different resources where we can actually seek help or to seek guidance or support. And our parents never had that. Like I had my first cell phone when I was like 19, <laughs> which means my parents never had that, you know? Mm -hmm. So even with my dad now, my dad's in Jamaica and I have so much love for him and so much patience and understanding. Whereas maybe some of my siblings wouldn't, but you have to love them still, you know, because regardless, we can't get away from it. He's our father. She's our mother. And I teach that to my children as well. When they have hard moments with their dad, it's like the one commandment that shares a promise is honor thy father and mother so that your days may be long in the land. That's the only promise in the commandment. So it's very important for us to actually honor our mother and father. I don't believe that our father and mother are to provoke us to anger. It does say that in the Bible too. But if they provoke us to anger, that's on them. You still honor your mother and your father. So I always brought my boys up, teaching them that. Even till this day, I tell them that. So with your relationship with your sons and do they in spite of everything still give you that respect and honor without holding the separation against you i believe they do i know my older son does and i know my younger son does as well but they're two different people you know even though they came from the same parents they're two completely different they don't even look alike <laughs> That's how different they are. So they, they do think very differently, but I know that they love, honor, and respect me and understand what I have gone through. And now that they're older, they can look at it with different eyes, through a different lens, as opposed to looking at it, my mom wasn't there, my mom left. But now they can under, they're old enough to understand. Because sometimes when I talk to my older son and I'll share what actually happened, what really happened through the custody battle, it's like, oh, I never knew that. I'm like, no, you didn't. But at that time, like, I would think that they should understand because they're at an age of reason, like, as they got older. But kids don't care about that. Their stress is different. So now they're in their, you know, early adult stage. They're able to actually relate now and they're going to be at a stage soon where they become fathers, where they're going to go through something sim not similar. I would never want them to go through something like this, but they would go through a tough time because having children is not easy, <laughs> whether you're together with your spouse or not. But they would now, like I relate to my mom because of me having kids and I feel sorry for her <laughs> the teenage years of her having to deal with three teenagers in her home, rebellious ones too. So when my teenagers got to that point, it's like, man, I feel bad for mom, you know, <laughs> because we put her through a lot. But I wouldn't have understood that if I didn't have kids as well. So 
Tell me what awaken your best self means to you and why you decided to write that book. What that means to me is to tap into the best version of yourself, which is within. When you go through difficult, challenging moments in life, being mindful and being aware of how you're thinking, how you're feeling, how you're acting and how you're speaking doesn't mean to erase what you're going through. It means to face it. And when you're able to face the challenges that you're going through, opposed to hiding it under a rug or moving on or brushing it off, you become the best version of yourself by learning the lessons in those moments, by gaining the wisdom, gaining the knowledge and discernment. Because all that we spoke about prior to us, you know, getting what we actually asked for when it's not God's will, it's for us to learn the discernment. And when we learn that discernment, we're able to now make better choices in the future, which allows us to awaken to our best self. When I have a very challenging moment, a very difficult day, because we all have bad days. So when that bad day comes, I typically take myself outside, leave my phone at home, and I go outside and I go out in God's elements. And I refresh myself and my energy in God's element. And I stay in that moment and a lot of the times you know you would want to pray or you would want to like talk about what you go through like to, to yourself or in prayer i now just learned to just be and develop self-compassion develop self-awareness of why i felt the way that i felt that's making me have this bad day and to be okay with it to not make myself feel bad because I had a breakdown or I lashed out to sit with those feelings, to sit with those emotions, because it's in that sitting is where we become, is where we become present and where we become aware of who we actually are and accept it. Like I totally, completely accept myself now. I completely approve of the woman that I am. In spite of my flaws, my faults, my, you know, lacks that I have in life right now. And what inspired you? What inspired you to write the book? I wanted to, I use the word teach, but I wanted to share the practical side of mindfulness and meditation and how to tap in because I feel that there's a lot of people out there young and old that don't know how to do that that aren't aware of how to recalibrate yourself after significant challenges and to love themselves regardless of what it is that they're being faced with at the moment in their life describe this mindfulness practice what does it entail it first entails you paying attention to your breath 
So first thing in the morning and usually the last thing at night, I take a few deep breaths and I sit with the motion of it inhaling going in, the feeling of the air going through my nostrils, the cool air as it comes in, the rise and fall of my belly and the exhale of it, the being released through my mouth or through my nose, whatever's comfortable. And to start with mindful breaths, because that's where it guides you into the present moment. And to take mindful breaks throughout the day. So, you know, as I'm working on projects or when I was working on the book, I would take a mindful break and take a moment to do a few more deep breaths during that time and go make some tea, sit with the feeling of the hot cup on my hand, sit with the steam coming out of the glass, sit with the, you know, the taste of the hot water, the hot tea on my tongue, like sit with each motion. I would have mindful eating moments where I would put my food in front, put my phone away, turn the TV off and just sit there with the different senses, the smell of the food, the way that it tastes, what comes up. Is it pungent? Is it sweet? Is the feel of it soft? Is it crunchy? Like I sit with all of that, but all of that brings you into the present moment. And typically when you're in the present moment, whether you're eating, walking, taking deep breaths, Shortly after is when you receive, I call them downloads, or you receive intuition moments, or you receive insights into what your next move is. But when you don't take breaks, when you're just going at it and, you know, if you take a break, some people that go and smoke, they'll go and take a smoke break or they'll go and talk to friends, but they're never in the present moment. They're always caught up doing something always feeling like they need to do something as opposed to take a break and do nothing and sit in the moment. Because as I said earlier, in the present moment is where God is. That's where insight is. And when you're always doing, 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 talking, 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 you can't hear from God. You can't hear your intuition, the soft, still, soft, soft, still voice speak to you. So that's what mindfulness practices bring. What would you say to someone who feels that mindfulness only intensifies the negative emotions that they are feeling? So they would prefer the distractions. They feel better because of the distractions opposed to sitting still or being present in the moment. It passes. You have to go through it. You can't go over it. You can't go under those feelings. You have to sit with those uncomfortable emotions that come up, feel it, hear it, see what it is that you're seeing, but allow it to come up because they're coming up so that they can be released. When things are brought to your attention, like past memories, past hurts, those things are coming up to your thought process 
for them to be released. Those tough emotions are coming up because they want to get out. And when you actually sit with them, when I came to this realization, it was another epiphany moment. I was like, oh my gosh, they actually leave. Because you think when you consistently have those feelings and those thoughts and then you brush them away, you resist them, they always come back. So because they always come back, you think they're always going to come back. So you just keep brushing them away. No, face them, sit with them, feel it, cry it out. You're not going to die by crying. You sit with those feelings, the hurt, the anger. And this is what got me through like every single moment of like me losing, I always say losing the boys, but me being separated from them. I would sit with those feelings before I used to brush them away, but now I sit with them. I sit with how I feel and then they leave me. <laughs> and when they leave, it leaves for you to now replace it with how you actually really want to feel. So you want to feel the joy, you want to feel the peace. So when those feelings leave after those uncomfortable emotions show up, now picture your life. This is where manifestation and visualization come in because you can't manifest and visualize anything, affirm anything, if you're holding on to pain, if you're holding on to the past. So you have to let them go and you let them go again by sitting with them, facing them, breathing them out and then now you come into manifestation now you can envision because now you're clear you're not envisioning based off of your pain anymore you're not envisioning because you don't want to experience this you want to experience this instead so let me run away from this to go to that no you're going to keep running back to that so in order for you to get what you actually want you need to let go of the pain let go of the past let go of the harsh emotions that have kept you trapped for so long. When I had a bad moment, let me meditate. <laughs> let me pray now. Let me see God. But now I see God every single day. Every single day. Praise I'll say God. it again. Every single day. <laughs> pray. I meditate. Praise and God. I worship with him every day. And it's not based off religion. It's not based off church. I don't go to church. I don't. I, right. I prefer to. I prefer to commune one on one or in a small group. Right. I prefer to because I believe that we are meant to act out God's will and be Christ-like in our actions and actually live it and not just speak it. And. This will be for another conversation. This is something else that <laughs> happened to me that I went through. But I truly believe that we're living in the last days. And I know every generation says the same thing, but the church of today is a business. And I've been to many different churches throughout my lifetime, different denominations. And I've come to realization that they're all serving, or majority, not all, because there are good churches, but their majority of them are serving the God of self. They're not serving the living God. And it's a business. How many churches do you go to and they're selling books in there? Like they've, they've turned it into a marketplace. 
they sell CDs, well, now not CDs, but they sell books in there. They sell, you know, all these different merchandise, T-shirts and all that. They have well, so many building funds. There's a lot of churches with a building fund all the time. They're always on expanding and, you know, acting out of pride and what they think they should do for God. But is it what God has called you to do? I ask, I ask this next question, not out of judgment, but simply out of observation in saying that, you know, the church is a business. How would that be any different from what you do in the way that you help people with your books and your merchandise versus the church and their books and their merchandise? Because the church is a service. We go there to give tithes. So you give tithing to church. You give offering to the church. But when they go outside of that and ask for more, to benefit more, to call in more, to, you know, build more, when what the church is called to do is to teach the word of God. And as the pastors and the priests and the fathers in the church, you are to pay them with your tithes, with 10% of your offerings. I've gone to churches where they get tithing, offering, sacrifice, all in one service, ask you to give to your last penny, give your last dollar. And when I started to see them, instead of taking cash, they started having debit debit machines and debit cards in there. Okay, well, now you have no excuse to give. I've seen churches where people that don't have money to give, he would, there was a church that made people stand up who didn't give an offering and tell people, give what you have to that person so she can give. So you have to give more. And you see these pastors drive away in Porsche Cayennes and X6 and have the best suits on and live in mansions and you know they don't just work in the church or service in the church they're real estate agents they're doctors they're all these different things but then there's their um congregation the people in the congregation are suffering they're walking home after a midnight service they don't know how they're going to make rent and is the church helping them is the church giving them their car instead of buying a Porsche Cayenne? You can split that up and buy 10 Camrys and give a car to someone in need. I believe that we are to act out the word of God and to not just go to the one day service or the three day service, usually it's Sunday, Wednesdays and Fridays, <laughs> to not just show up on those days and be holy and be you know, a part of a congregation, but to be that seven days of the week, to go out to the places that actually need the help, go to the homeless, go to the shelters, give the help, tie, put your offerings and your tithes in the homeless shelters. There shouldn't be homeless people on, on the street if they have billions of churches in a city. There should are be you, homes for that. Are you familiar with the pastor, Rick Warren, he wrote The Purpose Driven Life. No, I'm not familiar, familiar with him. No. Okay. Mm -hmm. 
it's an amazing book. Um, if you ever care to read it, I want to say he retired either a year ago or the year before that. So he's retired now. And I don't even remember where his church was located, but it was an amazing church within the United States. And he talked about how he lived off of 10% of his income and gave away the other 90%. I believe those were the percentages. And that's how he ran his church. Everything that came in, he gave back to the church. He lived off 10, gave away the other 90%. So I think there are some great pastors or possibly even some great churches out there. But again, that is not to judge your decision on why you choose not to go to church. Just an observation and wanting to get your perspective as to why. That's just my belief. It's not something that I pass on, which is why I started by saying that this is very controversial. Mm -hmm. It's not something that I tell people for them to do. I would never say like, I don't think you should go to church. I wouldn't judge someone to go to that. They go to church and I don't, but to me, it's all in your heart. So if you're going to church to replace the bad that you're doing for you to continue to do the bad, continue to act out in hypocrisy, gossip, slander, hatred, malice. You go home and you go back to doing all those things. Then what's the point in you going to church? Thank you so much for being willing to elaborate on that. You know, with discernment, I absolutely want to create a safe space for anyone to share their ideas and perspectives, even if they aren't what I necessarily believe. And so just as the Bible says, you know, you study to show yourself approved. And if you only give one side of an explanation without addressing the other side, then Sometimes you could kind of lose people with where you are. So thank you so much for being able to uh, just elaborate on your thoughts and how you felt about it. You know, it's your perspective and how you feel. But I definitely feel like you brought a well-rounded perspective to it. So I only have two more questions for you. The first question is, what are you most proud of throughout your journey towards self-discovery? Well, I should say three. What is the biggest lesson that you feel that you have long learned on this journey toward self-discovery? And what is the greatest challenge to this day? My greatest lesson has been to keep this as a practice and to learn all the things that I've gone through in the past, the wisdom gained and all that, to keep them at the forefront. Like I have many, many, many journals and it's basically for me to get my thoughts out on paper so that I can remember them more. And I often go back and I don't even recognize like who that person was that wrote it. <laughs> because I surpassed that lesson and it now has been 
ingrained into my soul to be who I am today. Jim, what was your other question? <laughs> the lesson, challenge. What was your greatest? What are you most proud of? What is the greatest lesson? And what do you feel is your greatest challenge? So I believe you shared what you felt your greatest challenge was and the greatest lesson. So what is it that you are most proud of? Well, what I'm most proud of is me, <laughs> my resilience, my drive, my ambition, my push, the courage, the strength to keep going and to not give up. Like that's what I'm most proud of because I'm stubborn by nature. God has mentioned that to me a few times that I am stubborn. And in some ways it doesn't work for me in other ways it works for me. And the ways that it works for me is for me to not give up. And in surrendering things that I worked hard for, what I'm not giving up on is my trust and my faith in God, knowing that he has me in the palm of his hands and my time and my future and my life is in his hands. And that is what I'm not giving up on. I'm not giving up on the direction that he has me in right now. It's altered a few times, like in the last six, seven months, it's changed. I didn't start out with thinking I want to get only into mindfulness. But right now, it's like I'm, I, I am my own brand, whereas before my services and my skincare products, that was my brand. But now my business is I am my business. The brand I'm building is me. And to not give up on that and to not give up on the lessons that God has taught me. And to pass that on. So I do believe that we are to pass on what it is that we've gained throughout our life. And it's that strength, that courage, that resilience that I'm most proud of with me. Do you have anything else that you want to discuss in regards to your story or in regards to your journey that we have not covered? I just felt a bit of emotion right there, but <laughs> the message I want to get across to people is to get to know God Almighty, the living God, the sovereign Lord. Get to know him. Build a relationship with him. Love him as he deeply loves you. Because in all that we go through all the challenges that we go through. It's God Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, the one and only true God that brings us out of it every single time. And a lot of the times we like to give ourselves the credit, but it's him that gets all the praise. It's him that is worthy of all honor and glory. And I know there's many different ways of people wanting to get to know God, but 
I truly believe that Christ was God's mind, has God's mind, has God's heart. And once we get to know Christ, we get to know God. And it's not in the form of religion. It's not in the Christianity. It's not in Catholicism. It's not in spiritualism. It's in relationship. God wants to have a relationship with us. We are his prized possession. And when we manifest, we manifest because who we serve, who our father is, our true father is, he has everything, which means we have everything because we are his daughters, we are his sons. So with all that I shared today, it was God that brought me through every single bit of it. And it deepened my relationship, not just with myself, but with the creator. And I urge people out there to develop that closeness with him. Because that's where true living is, is in God. Nadia Tamerly, thank you so much for being here. Your story is absolutely one of resilience and it has been insightful, inspiring, and encouraging. And so I just want to say once again, I am honored to have you here with me on this podcast, Discernment.